Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. You know, it reminds me how, how I spoke with a man this week and he told me his wife was from the Philippines and I, a certain island in the Philippines and that this island has a famous statue there called St. Rosary. You know, I, I don't know, that's what he told me. And that the island described their protection during World War II and from typhoons to the statue of St. Rosary. And then he told me that in his home in Lemon Grove here that he has a replica of this St. Rosary statue on his altar over his fireplace. And then he told me that one night the statue moved from the fireplace to the foot of the stairs. And I was thinking, what would it be good if it moved from the top of the fireplace to into the fireplace? Uh, that might have been better. But anyway... <laughs> You know, but and he, and I said, well, he asked me, what does that mean to you? You know, and he and he, he, he said, well, man, God is with us. You know, and I says, you know, that's all the realm of I don't know. You know, but the Bible is the realm of I know. It's better to go over into this realm of I know in the Bible rather than I don't know how the statue moved. But anyway, there's only one source of safety that's stated in Proverbs twenty-one thirty-one: the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. And What's sad is when safety from the Lord is ascribed to a statue you know, or to earrings. And that's why it's so important here in this verse to see these earrings getting buried and they left them there in Shechem before they started out so that no one could say, well, yeah, I'll tell you, Jacob, why we were safe. You know? No. So we're not going to have that. God's not going to share his glory. Uh, Gideon, you got too many men. What? You know, yeah, 300 sounds like a good number to me. God says, I like the number like 300, you know. <laughs> now, so what we see in verse five was God working to protect his followers by working in the hearts of the lost. God worked inside the hearts of those who didn't follow him. Just like he says in Proverbs 16, 7, Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. You know, there were three times in a year when the Israelites had to leave their homes and their lands and go up to Jerusalem. Now, can you imagine those times? Can you imagine those times when a Jewish person knew there's bad people all around me, heathen nations all around me, and they know when those three times are in the year when I have to leave everything and go appear before the Lord in Jerusalem? I mean, you know, Makes you anxious. I mean, I get anxious every time I leave for church on Sunday, you know, because I get concerned. I make sure all the cameras are working, the ADT alarm is set, you know, that's going to call the police, that's going to call my iPhone when someone breaks in, you know. And so, what about those Jewish people who would be gone for days and they leave all their stuff for days? What are they going to do? 
you know, they're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna double deadbolt their tents, you know? <laughs> they're gonna set their ADT alarms to call their iPhones while they're in Jerusalem. <laughs> you know, imagine them in worship saying, you know, I gotta call ADT, someone's breaking into my tent, you know? <laughs> I mean, how could you not worry? How could they not worry about, well, what am I gonna find stolen? You know, and when I come back after these three times a year, or maybe my houses and my lands just would be occupied by enemies, you know? So they didn't have ADT to rely on. They didn't have their iPhones to rely on. Well, what did they have to rely on? Well, instead of ADT, instead of iPhones, they had a promise from God. And the promise was in Exodus 34, 24. Exodus 34, 24. Here's what the promise says. God says, I will cast out the nations before thee and enlarge thy borders. Neither shall any man desire thy land when thou shalt go up to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in the year. See, that's a promise. God says, no alarm system. God says, I'm gonna do something in the heart of all the people, of all, of all the other people. I'm gonna make sure there's no desire for your stuff, your land, when, the, when you go to appear before the Lord. Don't you worry when you go serve God. Nothing's gonna be touched because of my power. Here was God's promise that when they went up to do the will of God and traveled to Jerusalem three times in the year, they, they said, don't worry about your possessions. Don't worry about your stuff and your, your land because God's gonna control the desires in the hearts of your enemies, just like he was putting fear and terror into the hearts of the people there. And they just said, I don't want that. How assuring is that? for us. So time they'd be away, God just said, you know, they, they got it time to go away. And, and you know, when, when a fear, like it does, races over our hearts, they just say, God promised that while I'm away, serving him on these three times a year, neither shall any man desire thy land. And today we've got this, a similar promise. And what should we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So we can just put a title over this passage we're reading here, and the title would be Back to Bethel, Back to Bethel. But they needed help, and obviously we talked about how God helped them. But there's so many times in life when we need help. We need help, and the question is, what do you do? What do you do when you need help? There's a psalm. By the way, it's not a bad thing to ask for help. You know, uh, during the service before this, uh, Ken was talking about the crucifixion in Psalm 22, and in that passage in Psalm 22, the Lord Jesus Christ asked for help three times. He said in Psalm 22, one, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And then in verse 11 of Psalm 22, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. And then in verse 19, be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength, hasty to help me. So three cries for help. What do we do? When we're in trouble and we need help, there's a great psalm that guides us. And Psalm 121, turn to it if you would, would please. Psalm 121, great psalm that guides us when we need help. We just need help, pure and simple. And Psalm 121, and it's a short psalm, but it says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? Keep these things in mind. He's gonna lift his eyes, unto, lift his eyes to the hills. Whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord. And which Lord would that be? Oh, you know, the one that made heaven and earth. And he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. 
Behold, he that keepeth Israel, new topic, Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade by thy right hand. Upon thy right hand, the sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil and shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. See, King David tells us, first thing you do when you need help, he says, go outside and look to the hills. Look at the hills. Why? Because we're expecting God to see coming over that hill, you know. Just look, you know, it's going to come over Mount Miguel. No, because there's something wonderful that happens when you're in stress and you're in trouble, just to go outside, just to go outside, and especially looking at the hills, because when you're in trouble, you know, the first thing, you want to go inside, you want to hunker down, you know, you want to pull the covers over here and drop your eyes and worry, you know. But this says, don't do that in Psalm 121. It says, don't do that. It tells us, lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes. In other words, Look beyond your trouble by looking to the hills. You know, hills are interesting. You know, hills are beautiful, especially here. I feel sorry for people who live in Texas, Dallas. You know, no hills, you know. You know, at least in Alberta, they have a place called Three Hills. At least there's three hills to look at. But there in Texas, you know, there's no hills. They should call that place no hills. But anyway, um, hills are beautiful. They change colors depending on how the sun hits them. You know, our hills around here in San Diego, they go through shades, of the day. They go through shades of blue, then they go to black before the sun goes down. It's just wonderful. It's therapeutic. It's therapeutic just to look at the hills. For us to look at the hills, we see the work of God. And we realize our help comes from, wow, God who made the heavens. Actually, it's really best to look at verse one and as, verse one as a question and verse two as an answer. So verses one and two really should read, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hill. And from whence cometh my help? question. Oh, my help cometh from the Lord. See, And right away, we see our help comes from the Lord, and then he is described as who made heaven and earth. When it says, my help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth, what is he referring to? Starts with a C, and there's a museum about it in Santee. <laughs> hey, all right, hooray, okay. Okay, so he looks to God as the God of creation when he says he made heaven and earth. And that's the source of his help. You know, why is there such a raging battle going on between creation and evolution? I mean, what's the difference, you know? I mean, you know, you say tomato, I say tomato, you know. You say either, I say either, you know. So, you know, let's just call the whole thing off. So what's the difference between creation and evolution? I mean, what's the big deal? You believe in creation, I believe in evolution. Does it matter? Well, at the Taste of Creation meeting we had in Santee recently, Jason asked me to address the subject of why creation is important. This psalm tells us. This psalm tells us why creation is so important because we get help in life as we see the Lord as the one who made heaven and earth. You know, evolution is so impersonal. You know, it's a result of time and chance and random processes, let me snuggle up next to time and chance and random processes. That'll make me feel really warm and cozy, right? <laughs> That's about as impersonal as it gets. But creation is very personal because of the verb, the Hebrew verb that's used to describe how God created, especially emphasized in how he created man in Genesis 2-7. Genesis 2-7, it says, the Lord God formed Yatsar, is the word. He formed man of the dust of the ground. 
and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Breathed into his nostrils. How, how much, who are you going to let breathe into your nostrils, right? <laughs> I mean, you know. Genesis 2.8, next verse. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man, again, whom he had formed, Yatsar. Now, Yatsar is a very interesting word because it's the potter's word. It's the word that means squeezed into shape with hands, hands. It's all about hands. And when it says that God formed man, we're talking about the hands of God. And Yatsar, forming man and creation. The issue about creation is the hands of God that form man. That's carried up in, in, in Romans 9.20, Romans 9.20, when Paul says, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed, now it's Greek, but I'm sure, anyway, formed, say to him that formed it, what it why hast thou made me thus? And, see, and David says in Psalm 95.5, the sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed, Yatsar, the dry land. See, God uses hands to form the dry, dry land there. He got his hands dirty. Psalm 100, verse 3, Psalm 100 and verse 3, know ye that the Lord is God, he, and it is he that hath made us, not we ourselves, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, carrying on for that in Psalm 95, verse 7, Psalm 95, verse 7, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. See Psalm 139, verse 9, 139, 9. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall uphold me. So God's hands are very important because it's with his hands. This is all about creation now. It's his hands that formed us. His hands lead us. His hands uphold us. And when we die, we're going to look at those hands, those Yatsar hands that formed us, and we're going we're to say the same words. We're going to repeat the same words of the Lord Jesus in Luke 23, 46. Luke 23, 46, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Having said that, he gave up the ghost. So that's why creation is so important when we're in trouble and need help, because creation brings to our minds, Yatsar, that God formed us. Creation brings to our minds the hands of God. And that's why the devil has waged such a war on creation, because creation is our point of trusting God. That's our point where we trust God. And so when we look at the hills, we see that the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and, and then as we see how much the Lord cared for his creation, and the fact he cared so much that he made us with his hands, and we realize well, he's not going to let my feet slip, be swept away. And so in verse 3 of Psalm 121, he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee shall not slumber. Now, in this verse 3 of Psalm 121, a theme begins, and it's all centered around another Hebrew word, shamar, which means to guard. It means to, to, to keep or to watch over. You know, the shamas in the temple is usher, you know, they always say to me, what's your Hebrew name? I said, Thomas the Shamus. But <laughs> the Shamus is the one who, he's like the bouncer, so to speak. Well, he's not called that, but I mean, you know, 
he's the guard, you know. But if there is trouble, the shamus is the one who'll, you know, bailiff. Anyway, so it means to guard or to keep or to watch over. And although several different English words are used in Psalm 121, it's the same Hebrew word, shamar. In verse three, he that keepeth, shamar. He that keepeth thee, shamar. Verse four, he that keepeth Israel, shamar. Verse five, the Lord is thy keeper, shamar. Verse seven, the Lord shall preserve, shamar. Shall preserve thee. Verse seven, the Lord shall preserve, shamar, thy soul. Verse eight, the Lord shall preserve, shamar, thy going in and thy coming out from this time forth even forevermore. So this shows us over and over again, God's the keeper, God's the guard, God's the watcher. And so then as we go on in Psalm 121, we see we have a sleepless God. We have a God that doesn't sleep. He doesn't even, he doesn't even take a cat nap, you know? And, 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 and especially for Israel, this is important. And, and Isaiah 27, verse two, it says, in that day, sing ye unto her a vineyard of red wine. I, the Lord, do keep it, Shamar. I will water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I will keep it, Shamar, day, night and day. Fury is not in me. Who would set the briars and thorns against me in battle? I would go through them, I would burn them together, or let him take hold of my strength, that he may make peace with me, and he shall make peace with me. He shall cause them to come up, Jacob, to take root. Israel shall blossom and bud. Fill the earth, face of the earth with food. See, I will keep it, Shamar, day and night. You know, night times for a, a vine, you know, you know if you, those of you who have gardens, you know, you get it all set up in the daytime, and you come back and say, you know, who ate all those tomatoes, right? <laughs> you know, so, you know the, that's when the pests come out at night. It's when the rabbits come out of my house. And so the description here is of the keeper of Israel day and night. And then we're told in, in Psalm 121, now look, I wanna turn your eyes from creation to Israel. Look at Israel. You wanna see the greatest example of God's shamar? Look at how God keeps Israel. Psalm 121, verse four. He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Look at the, the enemies of Israel. You know, man, how many they are, how rich they are, how much land they have, and how often they intended to exterminate Israel. And who won? Yeah. So this psalm tells us, look at Israel. When the psalm tells us to look at Israel, it's to see an example of God's keeping. But, you know, I was talking about Mount Miguel and the hills and stuff like that. But really, really, we got to look at the hills from a different perspective. When this psalm tells us to look at the hills, there's another important meaning here when we realize from where this psalm was written, Jerusalem. It was written in Jerusalem. We're talking about the mountains or the hills. Well, in some places it's called the mountains in Psalm 133, verse three, the great psalm about unity. In Psalm 133, verse three, it says, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, mountains of Zion, that'd be the mountains of Jerusalem. There the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. The mountains of Zion, the mountains, the hills of Zion, if you want, is where God commands the blessing of eternal life. And there are three. There are three mountains or hills of Zion that we need to keep in mind. They're in Jerusalem. Very important when it comes to the blessing of eternal life. And the mountains, the first mountain is Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, Jerusalem. That's where we saw the substitution. That mountain stands for substitution. When the Lord Jesus Christ took our place, his substitute. Mount Moriah 
speaks to us of how the Lord Jesus Christ became our substitute and died for our sins, just like Abraham offered the ram in the stead or in the place of Isaac on Mount Moriah in Genesis 22, 13, Genesis 22, 13. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And so we'd have no eternal life if the Lord Jesus Christ did not die in the stead of us on Mount Moriah, substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus for our sins. Second mountain, Mount of Olives, Mount of Olives. That's where we saw the decision of the Lord Jesus Christ to go to the cross so we could have eternal life. On the Mount of Olives is the Garden of Gethsemane. And there the soul of the Lord Jesus struggled to the point of sweating drops of blood as he pleaded in Mark 14, 36, Mark 14, 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou will. That was the Mount of Olives, where the Lord Jesus Christ made that vital for us, decision for him too, to become our sin offering, because he died as a result of it, and he made a decision to die for us on the Mount of Olives, and if he didn't do that, we wouldn't have eternal life. Second mountain. Third mountain, Mount Calvary. Mount Calvary, where we saw the actual sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, so we would have eternal life. On Mount Calvary is where the Lord Jesus Christ was actually crucified and died for our sins. And unless he was crucified and died for our sins, forget about eternal life. So when David is in Jerusalem, in Psalm 121.1, he says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, three hills, three hills. The hill the Lord made us our substitution, Mount Moriah. The hill where he made his decision, Mount of Olives. The hill where he actually became our sacrifice for sin, Mount Calvary. So this is the Lord that he looks to in Psalm 121. You know, parents die, brothers and sisters alienate from each other, friends become estranged, but not so with God. And God has all power. And so he looks to God as the keeper of Israel, not just one Israelite, but all the Israel as a whole. And he looks to God as the great keeper, the great Shamar. And then he says, oh, the Lord is thy keeper. He tells everybody, David does. The Lord's thy keeper. He's thy shade upon thy right hand. He looks to God as the shade on the right hand. It means protection. You know, the right hand is the vulnerable hand because the left hand, you hold the shield. But the right hand, you don't have a shield, so you're vulnerable. So, and the ultimate statement for protection in Psalm 121, verse seven, the Lord shall preserve, shamar thee from all evil. You name it, he protects. He shall preserve thy soul. That's wonderful. So he looks to God for protecting him from the evil that comes in prosperity, the evil that comes in poverty, the evil that comes when you're approved of, the evil that comes when you're not approved of, right? And it's uh, not just our possessions, not just our home, not just our family, but our souls he preserves. You know, in Psalm 48, 14, Psalm 48, verse 14, for this God is our God and forever and ever, and he'll be our guide even unto death. A 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13 and a half point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org.